Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. So today, uh, this episode is uh, giving Oprah her her roses, as as the old folks used to say where I'm from in Arkansas. We, We like to give people their roses while they're still here. And so today we are talking about uh, everything that we've learned from Oprah and how she's inspired us. And I have with me today, my friends, Monica, Marcy, Shay, and Andrea, uh, you guys have all known her, but uh, known all of them, but we're going to hear from each of them today as we have this conversation because we all love Oprah. So, uh, and she's going to listen to this y'all, just so you know, <laughs> she's going to hear this episode. She is, and she's going to love it. And then she's going to call us. And so um, so that's what's going to happen. And so we'll start with introductions. Monica, if you would introduce yourself, please. Um, I'm Monica Christina, and I am a therapist in Atlanta, Georgia. I have a private practice there. And in addition to that, I think my biggest heart is putting out um, work in the world, writing and um, the Still Becoming podcast that I host, which hopefully is a combination of vulnerability and mental health teaching that just brings a little bit of healing in the world. And it was my own journey to finding healing that really, you know, informs so much of the work that I'm trying to do. Thank you, Marcy. Hi, I'm Marcy Helvis Walker. I have a social media presence as a writer on um, Instagram and a blog, and it's all called Black Coffee with White Friends. I also do history lessons called Mockingbird, um, and I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank you. Andrea. I'm Andrea. Um, I host a podcast called Her Story Speaks, where I tell stories of different women that share their stories, and that podcast really has been part of my journey, too, in changing my faith and beliefs and who I am and who I show up, how I show up in this world. Um, I live in the Kansas City area. I have two daughters, two dogs, and a husband of 23 years. So, yeah, honored to be here. Thank you, Tasha. Hey. Good afternoon. My name is Shay Sears Bearfield. I host a talk show called The Shay Show, where I curate meaningful conversations with people around the world. We like to talk about things that are important to you and important to me, and consequently, they become important to the world. Um, my goal is to push the needle towards love. I have a social media presence on Instagram. I am still working on getting my podcast out there, um, and. Yeah, I like to be around people who make me better. And that's these ladies. Thank you, Shay. Uh, All of you, and just for anybody listening, you all are seriously some of the most loving, kind, intelligent, inspiring women I've ever in my life known. And so when I started thinking about this, um, this what I wanted this to, to be, I couldn't imagine sharing it with anybody else, like literally. Um, And just anything that I'm creating in the world, just wanting to be around 
people who who inspire me and make me better and and who have the same heart. And so, and I think that we're all, we have the same heart in terms of what we want to put out into the world and in terms of who we want to be uh, and, and just the work that we're doing, which our work is really our, in my opinion, uh, you guys can correct me. It feels um, divine. It feels just, just God breathed, but uh, I'm really thankful that you guys are just here to have this fun conversation with me um, today, just talking about Oprah. Uh, and I just want you to know that I love you all. So uh, the first question that, that I'll ask is, what was your first introduction to Oprah? What, what is your earliest memory? And Monica, I'll start with you. Um, my earliest memory of Oprah is, is sitting on um, the little stool and hitting my knees on the counter, watching the little TV in the kitchen in my parents' house, um, watching Oprah after school and eating snacks. You know, I mean, it started that that early and then getting older and watching her in the family room, becoming an adult and having my first place and watching Oprah. I mean, it's just I feel like, you know, I grew up with Oprah and, you know, and grew up learning from her and um, and really wanting to be like her in so many different ways. So started started young. I talk about this in my book and I'm with you, Monica. I started young, um, but I talk about it in my book. My earliest introduction was hearing my biological mother uh, speak negatively of her. And I knew that if she was speaking negatively, that this is a woman that I wanted to know. I wanted to, what is she talking about? Who is she? So I, I believe the opposite based off of the person that was that was criticizing. I knew, oh, this must be a really good person, a beautiful person. And so and I I think I don't remember my age. Maybe I was in middle school or or junior high school is what, what we used to call it. But uh, but I remember that. And. And then just growing up with her, like you say it, and, and just watching all the things and so no matter what people say it in the media, people in my community, whatever, I just noticed that she was putting out a lot of good. And, and I would even say talking about trauma before trauma became trendy. Yeah. Marcy, how about you? What was your first introduction? What are your earliest memories? Well, I'm old, so... <laughs> Um, my first introduction to Oprah was when Oprah um, kind of competed with Phil Donahue and the show was a little bit, it was, it was kind of, it was the kind of trash TV that worked in my household because we would finish up with um, General Hospital. <laughs> watching all my grandma's stories, you know, all her soap operas, The Bold and the Beautiful General Hospital, and then Oprah. And it was usually, it was, bef I, what, what comes to mind is that I was probably sixth grade, fifth grade, fourth, I don't know. I, I, I was, I was, you know, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't that young, but what I do remember is that as she started to talk about trauma and my very traumatized family, my family stopped listening to her. They, she was not, I think she hit too close to home and it became a thing that me and my sister watched a lot of 
but the rest of the family, you know, when she wasn't having like the circus show that she had had, and then she made this whole like declaration, like I'm not doing those kind of shows anymore. And she did this whole change. Um, many of my family members weren't feeling it, but my sister and I, my sister Mia and I, we still watched, I remember that. That's so good, Marcy, because she, and she talks about this, doesn't she? Uh, where she really felt like I'm not having any more KKK members on my show. I'm not having any more white supremacists. I'm not doing the thing where I'm trying to compete with Jenny Jones and um, all the rest of them that were out there at the time. Um, and I can't remember Sally, Jesse, Raphael and um, all the other ones that were that were there uh, having the the terrible families with all their drama and, you know, all the stuff, all the drama. She wanted to put something out that was better. And you're right. Jerry Springer. Of, yes, yes, yes. That's Jerry yeah. Springer started becoming popular um, and was getting all the ratings and everything. And so you're exactly right. And and the more she did that, a lot of our families said, nope, nope. And, and I even remember people saying she's catering to them white people, <laughs> you know, and so... Um, and so her show, and her show took a turn as she started listening to different people from various faith perspectives and whatnot. So yeah, good point. Andrea, what was your first introduction to Oprah? What do you remember? Well, I definitely, so I looked and her show first aired in 86 and I mm -hmm. remember watching with my mom, like right off the bat. So I would have been 11. So I do remember that was like a daily thing me and my mom would watch, um, always kind of like Monica after school, like that would be the after school, after school program. Um, and I've thought about that a little bit more because it was like, she was such a welcome face in our white home, my whitewash world. Um, Cause like this month with Marcy on her Mockingbird, she talks about Oprah and beloved. And I've examined that a little more. Was she catering to white people? Maybe she was to make it palpable. Is that why we liked her? Is that why we welcomed her into our home? Um, with that, I do, and I will talk about this a little bit more later, I think she exposed my world to white supremacy and what all that was. And I wish I could remember more if my mom and stopped watching it. Um, I don't remember that. I just remember it was at every day after school. I also remember that year that she launched her show, we went to Chicago and my parents both got to go on her show and I wasn't old enough. And I can just still remember my disappointment because I really think she was like the first person was like a star, like somebody I looked up to. Like, it's just, it's really interesting to when you think back at like your 11 year old self and why this woman, this older woman that has a talk show was such, just such a presence. And you felt like, oh my gosh, she's like the first famous person. I'm just like adore and want to emulate. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Shay, what do you remember? So what I remember, it's a, a little bit of a story but I'll be brief. Um, I was uh, 11 years old. I had come in the summer times, we would leave the Bahamas and go to our family in America. And my family in America lived in Holland, Michigan. And for some reason, my uncle, I don't know why, but he made us watch the color purple. I had never heard of the color purple, but he made us watch it. <clears throat> Sometime during that period, um, watch the color purple and... Then at the end of it, he said, 
he came to me and I don't know why he did this to this day because he doesn't come off like this particularly he's insightful, but not like intuitive emotionally per se, but he came to me and he said, Shay, the woman from the color purple, she's getting her own talk show. And I remember going, Shug Avery is getting her own talk show. This is amazing because I knew it was a light skinned pretty girl. And when I saw it was Sophia who had her talk show and I told Andrea this, listen, I think something in me awakened in a way that I didn't know was asleep nor needed to be awakened. But she gave me possibility because I saw my little chocolate chunky self in Oprah. And I was like, if Sophia has a spot in this world, Maybe I do too. Um, so that is my first memory of Oprah. Sophia getting her talk show and it wasn't Shug Avery. <laughs> yeah. Shay, y'all, every, everything you guys said is so powerful and it makes me think about, I remember being young and just even, you know, just looking at her and saying, this is not just a black woman. She a big black woman. She a plus size black woman, right? wide nose, dark skin. And she's taking up a space that dark skin, wide nose, plus size black women don't usually have. And when I was a child, I used to get made fun of because of my nose. And they called me Moose and all kinds of other names. And then, and then I remember little boys saying, you're too, you're too black. We don't, we don't like you. You too, you too dark for us. Yeah. They, they tell me I was too dark. And so, so, so all of these little, and there, there was a lot of other ways that I was bullied, you know, that was more severe, but seeing this example, <laughs> you gotta be the opposite of this, of whatever to be successful. So yeah. Anybody want to ch chime in on anything related to that? or anything else. What I just loved about Oprah to the Sophia Shug Avery was that to your point, Oprah was a sure enough black woman. She what she had none of when I was in law school, they I had never heard this phrase before, but she had none of the um the it, I think someone said, "Oh yeah, she has all the standards." And I was like, "Standards? What does that mean?" She had no blue eyes, gray eyes, green eyes, you know, like all those things that make black people more palpable for white people, because we are taught white supremacy requires us to hate ourselves, hate everything inherently about us that's black. So we're taught to start looking for the thing even amongst ourselves that is as white as possible, that's less black. So to your point, what, why Oprah, I think was such a, she was, a pivotal figure in many ways into different groups for different reasons, because for me, there was no, she ain't had the good hair. There was nothing. She was a black woman as I knew I was going to grow up to be, uh, you know, I didn't have any of those things. So I just, I loved, I loved, and I still love that about her. Um, it's, it's, it, she's actually kind of miraculous that she, was kind of pushed into that space. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, 
So y'all, I wasn't as young as I thought I was when, when Oprah began, which makes me feel even older, y'all. So I would have been, she her first show aired in 86. Then that means I was a junior in high school. Yeah, so I was, I was old already. But what you were saying about her image and her standards, you know, the American beauty standard, um, another reason why my family, people in my family, I think, stopped watching her. Um, it wasn't just the spiritual side that she was introducing and the, the trauma work that she was introducing. It was when she lost weight. And I used to hear a lot of black people say, a lot of black women said that she was trying to be white by losing weight, that, you know, she didn't represent us by losing weight. And I remember hearing, um, I think a lot of, I think there was a disconnect because, and, and I understood because suddenly she had, I think we always thought that Oprah went home to a home similar to ours. But then when she started like introducing her private chef and her private trainer and her dogs and, you know, I knew black women who were just like, well, I don't relate to, I no longer relate to her because I don't have a private chef. I don't have, you know, um, a, a personal trainer. And um, I just remember that being a stickler from some some black women um, that I grew up with, that they kind of saw that as what we would call bougie, that she was being bougie. And um, but I loved her because at the same time I was loving Martha Stewart. So I would like I love these women. And so um, I think that had something to do with it, too. It, was, it wasn't it was that she no longer her wanting to lose weight. I think a lot of the people in my family and a lot of the people in my community, in my black community, because I grew up in two communities, felt that it was a judgment on them. And not just her personal journey, but it was just a judgment on them. So I think that's what happened. You guys are talking about like 1986. Y'all y'all are talking about y'all's ages. I was so I was seven in 86. So so I was a baby. So I know I wasn't watching the Oprah at that time. So I so now I really know it was it was much later, like late elementary, middle school, that kind of, you know, when I got my introduction to her, um, where I remember it. Uh, but I do remember those those conversations and my respect for her, my own knowing didn't happen until I would say in my twenties, because then later on, Marcy, she starts talking about her relationship with her father, the pregnancy, her relationship with her mother, all the things. And then I said, oh, oh, now we're talking. And then I felt tethered to her because there was so much between my story and Dr. Maya Angelou's story, between my story and Oprah's story, and how Dr. Maya Angelou is the reason that I started writing poetry and all of these things. And just, but I had to know Oprah's pain in order to feel that, that tethering, if that makes any sense. What are some, as you think about uh, Mother Oprah, 
uh, or Sister Oprah, however you 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 would categorize her and name her. What are some lessons or takeaways that you've gleaned from her or anything that she's had a hand in creating or supporting? What are some of your takeaways from her? It's a good question. And it's funny because I adore Oprah. I think for me as a writer, it was really when she she started her book club. That was a really big deal for me. Um, I was always a reader and that wasn't something that, in my family, I come from a family of readers. I will say all my sisters are very big readers, but at the time it, it wasn't, it wasn't um, accepted as, as this sort of um, pastime or, or passion that, that everyone loves to brag about the books that they have like now when you have these book grams and all that stuff at the time it it made me on the outside of things that i read so much um it didn't make me connect with other people i was i was kind of teased about it if anything not in my family but outside of my family just teased for the amount of reading that i did um and I, so that was really poignant to me. And I think every interview she ever had with Toni Morrison was very big for me. Um, it's a weird thing with Oprah and I because, and I say Oprah and I because, you know, we go back, she and I. But um, as much as I loved her, she challenged me in some ways. Um, and there are some things that, you know, she, she would have some crazy people on and I'd just be like, Oprah, what? You know, like um, Dr. John, who turned out to be not such a stellar person and um, just a couple of, of episodes, you know, where Marianne Williamson, who I'm not, I don't really jive with, you know, but as an adult, now I look back on that and I see her boldness in trying and listening to people. And I think that has a positive effect on me, just even when I'm posting things on my own site or when I'm writing about things, just to not have, have it be, cause you know, being raised Baptist, it was like, you know, you needed to only adhere to Christians, but, um, to be able to embrace a variety of stories and know that it's okay if I'm wrong. If I, if I, if I quote someone who I think is being genuine, right? Um, but then they end up getting canceled, which this culture is so quick to do. Know that my, my first intention was good and that I was, you know, that it's okay to at least hear a story, you know, or being inspired by a story, even if later turns out that I was wrong. So I was always really su surprised at her ability to just try these things. I remember when she had a show about um, being reborn and she talks about this show. She talks about how she didn't believe the guy who was on. He he was saying that you had to redo your birth process. Do any of y'all remember this crazy show? And like the man, so this woman was pretending to be born again and like go through her mother's vagina, y'all. It was a hot mess. And Oprah the whole time was kind of like, she just kept asking questions, right? Um, 
knowing that <laughs> she was like, oh, no, 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 no. But I think that leads you to other people who are outside of um, maybe the normative ideas that we have. Good soulful people. But if you're not willing to even explore then you, you just don't meet those people. And I think that that's something that I wish more people did, that they would, you know, I often get people who love to tell me about the people that I shouldn't be reading or the people I shouldn't be listening to. or, And it's just kind of like, and then they give me everything, everyone that they listen to. And it's just kind of like, well, why are you just down on this person's experience? It's just kind of like, what is it that makes you, oh no, I, w I would never try. I had someone um, rebuke me, I'm not kidding, try to rebuke me for The Shack, because I said I was going to watch the movie The Shack, and later apologized for it. But it was just this like, I I'm so glad, I, I may have been one of those people out here rebuking people and telling them what not to do, if it weren't for the influence of Oprah helping me to be accepting of different stories and different ideas about faith for sure um, because that just wasn't allowed you just didn't do those sorts of things marcy it makes me think about um criticisms i remember sitting in a predominantly white church a conservative church um that I actually would never recommend to anybody at this point in my life. But I remember going to this church and really loving this church because they had coffee and they had a, a cool praise team and big screens and they were nice with their big old hands waving when you walk into the church. Um, but you know, when I stopped loving that church, when the pastor was in the pulpit and he said, Oprah don't love Jesus. I said, no, the fuck you didn't. No, the fuck you didn't just talk about Oprah. No, you did not just talk about Oprah. They could have gave me all the coffee and all the muffins and all the, the hey, you doing? praise the Lord. I don't care. You talk about Oprah, that's like talking bad about Jesus. So Well, they're doing it now. There's a um there's a movie on Netflix. I have not watched it. I think it's put out by the Heritage Foundation or one of these um very Calvinist puranical um associations very super conservative where they have lumped Oprah in and Richard Rohr in with Trump and, and prosperity and all this stuff and saying that they're dangerous to American to the American church so yeah they, they do it to this day oh Jesus what in the world Monica, what are some lessons, some takeaways that you've kind of gleaned from Oprah or anything she's had a hand in like creating or supporting or just anything she's done? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it and I, I have a too long of a list. Um, you know, I think I think one of the first things I thought of was the power of her presence. Just that, you know, what 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 she does in a conversation or what she does in an interview is because of how of who she is and how she shows up. And and that impacted me a lot to see if, you know, how I show up is more important than maybe what I know, um, how I show up with a person. And I think that Oprah, long before Brene Brown was teaching about vulnerability, 
Oprah was doing this, you know, she drew us in with her own story. And I think that power of, of her going first, you know, and she went first in, in many ways and shared her story that it's like, well, okay, like, I know that I could tell this woman anything and this woman can change the world. All that combined in one person, you know, I think. Um, and then I think that I, I love uh, that Oprah literally is like changing the world at different times and, you know, showing us what she cooked, um, you know, got from her vegetable garden. You know, I want to know what Oprah thinks about um, reflecting on her own self-growth, but I also want to know what slippers she's going to get, you know, for, for winter. It's like she 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 has this way of blowing through any sort of categories. And I feel like when I became a therapist, I was like, well, I better just be real professional and not have any any feelings or any quirks or any, you know, wires poking out. And and I think Oprah just models that, you know, power of fully showing up as who you are with all the different beautiful, just human parts, powerful parts, wise parts, vulnerable parts. And I don't know anyone else that's really done that like Oprah has in the world. And I think it just just blows through so many different boxes. Monica, you just said everything. You just, yes, yes. Okay. And what it made me think of is, is Oprah doing all of these things, right? She's not like this one trick pony where it's like, oh, well, I got my show. So now I'm done. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a show. I'm going to have a magazine. I'm going to have some books. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have some other shows, some other things. I'm oh, I'm going to have my own network. You thought I was done? And then I'm going to have a school. I'm going to do all these things. And not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to bring so many people with me. And so there's so many people that are literally living the life that they get to live. Maybe they're wealthy. Maybe they're well-known because of her putting their book out, putting their name out, interviewing them, do, or allowing them to interview her or whatever the case is. Um. And so it is an example to me of when, you know, yeah, I'm coming along and I'm doing my healing and I'm, and I'm doing different things, but I want to bring some other people too. And so um, there's just so much. And like you, I have a list of about 30 things that I wrote down. I won't get to share, but uh, it's just so much. Uh, so Andrea, uh, what are some things that, what are your lessons or takeaways uh from Oprah? Like you guys, I have a lot and I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, what do I want to focus on here? Um, I think what I've thought more about knowing that we're going to do this episode, um, I really have thought deeply just about the seeds that she's planted in my heart and soul. Is that 11, 12, 13 year old, 14 year old watching her show? And I know you brought this up, um, but like the one episode with the skinheads. I remember watching that. So that came out in 1988. I was 13. I wasn't watching with my mom. I remember watching it by myself as a 13 year old after school. And just like my mind being like, I didn't even know all this was a thing. Like I was in a very white world, whitewashed history, whitewashed school. So that was really mind blowing for me to be like, oh my gosh, there's people that think this about people. Um, and I feel like I wish I would have been able to process and talk at that time, but I think that seed was planted, that awareness of um, just the human condition and how 
how deeply that it was rooted in this in this country. Um, I think the other thing, the takeaway lesson learned that kind of goes with that is just, I was not, had I not, I don't think it had been for Oprah, I would have not been exposed to Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison, Jesse Jackson, like all these people that were in my living room that I was like, wow, these stories, like they're so different than mine. And this world is so different than mine, but we, but there's a connection. And I think Oprah was so good at showing that connection with her guests, the question she asked, how she listened. Um, and I think that is a seed that has just been planted in me and just my passion for stories and humanity and knowing, seeing our connections. So. Yay. So I was thinking, I thought a lot about that when you asked that question. And I've been thinking a lot, even while you guys are all giving your amazing answers. You know, I think the thing we could probably go on ad infinitum of all of the amazing things that we learned, but I'm going to land on these kind of two things. And it's probably about the totality of who she is and how she got to be there. So I think the first thing that stands out that I learned from her was that we can, doesn't mean you must, but we can feel what we're supposed to do and what we're here for. You know, like when she tells the story, they were trying to get her out of there when she had AM Chicago, you know, before she got AM Chicago, they were trying to fire her. She was this big fat black woman who they did not find beautiful. Um, and there, and kind of was like, she didn't talk her way up in this position. She, she's a good talker. We can't lie about that. So we got to figure out a way to fire this chick, but not do it where we look like the bad guy because white supremacy always wants to look like the good guy, even when they slap you in the head. Um, so like, Oh, the wind blew in my hand. It wasn't, you know, so they, so they put her in this position. They took her off. They demoted her from being on air. They put her in this position to kind of like get rid of her, but nicely. So they look sweet while they're getting rid of her. And little did they know that when she walked into that environment, I've heard her say that the first day she did AM Chicago and she saw this audience and it's a rat. That show was a riot. Like that was the show that we were introduced to essentially, you know, it was like seeing her. I remember her in the middle of Chicago in the road. And it was like a band playing and it, she had on like this, maybe I've seen the clip a bazillion, like this terrible fur coat. It was just awesome and awful all at the same time. But what we saw was a lady who was like in her seat and she would say the same thing. That was the moment she knew I'm going to do, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to do this for the rest of my life. So that her relaying of that story and me seeing the totality of how she in fact has just existed made me know I could pay attention to how I feel when I am in a space and I can discern from said feelings that something is meant or maybe not meant for me. So that was the first thing I was like, I got this. And then I think the second thing was that you, I think that you just never know where your life can take you. You never know where this, this, this donkey that we're riding can take us. Um, you know, when she goes into 
being, being conceived under a tree with her mother and father one time. And they had this black child who her mother was not kind to, was not loving towards. And she may have come to peace with it, but I'm still a little frustrated with her mother. I, I honestly, it's a little deplorable to me, to be honest, especially when she came to visit her mother had having lived with her grandmother all that time. And she was this dark skin child and her sister with the prettier, fairer skin child. And her mother let her sleep as a little baby, as a little baby girl out on that front, dark, scary porch in this foreign place to her. So I think knowing these parts of her and knowing where she is, listen, Oprah has taught me there is no telling where this life will take you. And there is no telling where this life will take you when you are doing what you were born to do. Doors that want to shut can't even shut. Roads that don't even want to be paved will be the flip pay for you. You will walk on roads that no one wanted you to, no one expected to you to. You will change hearts and lives that no one saw in the forefront of you. That's what she gave me. So there is no stopping me. And, and I appreciate her for that. That was so powerful. Um, thinking about the way that her mother treated her. And I remember, uh, you guys, do you, do you guys remember Oprah talking about that that her mother didn't know her, right? Really had no affection for her, right? Mm -hmm. And there was just this disconnect. Like you said, her, her being the dark skin when she was the one that was sent away and all of these things. And then looking at her life now. And what it told me is that you absolutely can grow up in a home that is unloving, that is unwelcoming, and that you can still love. You can be abused and you can still heal. You can grow up poor with nothing in the worst circumstances and, and then become wealthy and not just wealthy in, in money, right? You can have that abundance, that prosperity in so many ways. And so that experience, it shaped her, but it didn't, it didn't stop her. Well, you know, one of the things I feel like a lesson takeaway um, is, and I'm going to botch this quote, but Oprah says that Oprah says Oprah says that luck or success is um, where preparation meets opportunity, and that that was that was that became my husband and mine. I don't know how to say that. My, that became our um, one of our grounding things when we were just you know just married hoping to get the job, trying to get the job. It's like, let's be prepared. Cause that's what, when, when it, when the door opens, we want to be ready. And that's what I feel like with my dreams right now. Like when the door opens, I want to be ready. I want to have it ready so that when that, if that door opens, I'm prepared. So that I feel like is, is a, is a really big one. And then another <laughs> I'll say this last one. Another one is I remember her telling a story of how she walked into one of her beautiful homes, which when I imagine it, it, it smells like gardenias. Like it's like, it's beautiful. It's like got everything. And she said when she walked and I, and maybe Oprah, I'm sorry if I'm misremembering this, but what I, what I remember is that she walked into the house and, and she didn't like how she felt inside. 
And she wanted how she felt to match the beauty of, of her house. And that I felt like was like, that, that feels like the right order. That feels like the right order of how to do life. And so that, I, I feel like that would be um, a, one of the big ones. So. I love the story that she told about going to Europe and trying to buy a Birkin bag. And they, they or was there a Hermes bag or a Hermes store? And they were trying to, um, they basically um, didn't want her to buy it because they just thought she was just some black woman, which just boggles my mind um, to think about how you, your integrity really, you can't buy it when somebody doesn't know who you are. You know what I mean? So there's not enough wealth to pay for them to see your integrity. Like you can be the, a person of integrity, a power and influence, but if someone doesn't know who you are, right? And you don't tell them who you are, um, they'll treat you any kind of way. So it just, it, it just reminded me of that when you're talking about her homes. Yeah. That's such a good point. Um, and so when you think about, have there been for you any, any aha moments, whether it's, you know, from an interview that she gave or a commencement speech or just anything that she, just an aha moment or a particular lesson that, that you've learned in addition to anything else that, that, that we've said. And with that, I think a key aha moment or thing that Oprah has taught me honestly has been a lot in this last year going back to Oprah, because I will be honest, there was a phase in my life where I probably just totally quit listening to Oprah because being raised in this conservative family that you thought Oprah thought Oprah was this Christian woman, but then she did start derailing um, with the secret, the seat of the soul, all of these things and how I, and I know that's when my mom and family quit watching her thinking like she had gone off, like what is this new age stuff? And in my mind at that time, I bought into like, oh yeah, she has. So did not listen to her for quite a stretch. But now in my own faith journey, changing dramatically over the last couple of years, I feel like her Super Soul podcast, those back interviews that I didn't hear, the, I mean, that has been the biggest nourishment for my soul. Um, I, I really do listen to her that podcast more than anything because I just, it's a takeaway for me that, yeah, we can change. And it's not just the surface level of like what you're told. That's the truth. Like there is more, there is this soul searching, there is something deeper and it's not bad. And I will say just this last week, one of the statements that I heard on one of her podcasts, cause I'm also feel like I'm at this weird midlife crisis of sorts. Like, what do I want to do with my life? I don't even know. And she said over and over, it's not what you want to do with your life. It's what you want to be. And that it just keeps going through my mind this week. Like it is like, it's not about like all this do. I mean, that's from, you know, the white supremacy narrative. Like, what are we doing? What are we making? What are, what money? And that is just really stuck with me this week of like, what, what's the person I want to be that shows up in this world. And that I think ties back to that soul searching and this new, almost a deeper level of faith and spirituality that we're all so scared of when we're in that conservative Christian box of things. So, Yeah you bringing up a good point because I remember people in white folks, black folks, all folks turning against her when she started having different people from like the new age, mm -hmm. you know, population or community or whatever, 
coming on to her show and talking about different things, um, when they weren't explicitly saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus is the, you know, my Lord and Savior and all of that kind of thing. If they weren't saying that and they were saying anything else about the universe and energy and all of that stuff, a lot of people did turn against her. And now I am wondering, because deconstruction, again, is trendy. All these things are trendy now. I am wondering if she was going through her own deconstruction. Absolutely. I just got chills when you said that because I yeah. absolutely think just like her talking about trauma before it was a thing. I think she was going through her own faith deconstruction, but like a deeper level of spirituality and soul searching. And yeah, I can remember my mom and aunts being like, oh, she's gone off, gone off the deep end. Like, like that was said, but I think you're exactly right. Like she was deconstructing way before anybody was. Yeah. And yeah. now we all collectively owe her an apology because now we see how dangerous <laughs> uh serving white jesus has been yeah I, I too i was like when you said that i was like yeah that's exactly what that was and we didn't recognize it i certainly wouldn't have recognized it but i also think um with that deconstruction um we it, it reminds me of how so often in the christian faith if someone is good the Christian faith will just automatically say they must be Christian, that that's the only source of goodness in this world. And said no one ever, <laughs> not even not even C.S. Lewis, who they love to quote, believed that. So it just, it, it kind of, I, I totally have forgotten how often we do that. Like if it's, and then when they do something that seemingly is, unchristian or shows shows i guess their true colors and you know like they support someone who's gay and and, and the whole church freaks out and um or they have premarital sex oh my gosh but it's so funny that they'll drop those people but the people who <laughs> have done these things always shown their cards to be anything but Christian. They're just like, no, we love them, Donald Trump. That's like, like it, bo it boggles my mind that um, we really don't look at the fruit of what a person's done or the fruit of what they're doing. We, we only look at the tree and like where the tree is planted. And if it's planted in the center of a white, evangelical, cisgendered, heterosexual, um, male-dominated culture, then we'll pick from that tree. The church will pick from that tree. But the minute that that tree looks anything different, like those roots are coming from someplace else, the church will fall out. And that's exactly what they did with Oprah. You are so right. And it blows my mind that we missed it. We missed it. She was already there. And I think when you're deconstructing and you're searching for all the truth, the fullness of truth, like I said, you have to, you're going to pick up some pebbles and gravel that, you know, later you'll have to, but I think that she's, she's still becoming. And I think we don't allow that for our celebrities. You already have to have arrived. 
And so we don't have celebrities who apologize. We don't have celebrities who are able to make a turn and do something different. And I love the fact that she's done all of that. She's been able to apologize, do differently, um, say I was wrong about that. Like I love, I don't know if you guys have watched her shows where she revisits old shows and she talks about not a lot of people will do that. They'll just say, nope, I meant it then and I mean it now. And it's like, but do you? Like, I hope you don't mean that. I hope you don't mean, I mean, when I think about the things I said in 1986, heck, the things I said in 2010 that I thought were real and true that now I, I can't say today. I mean, it's just... I, I love that you pointed that out. It's just me thinking about that all day. Yeah, I was just thinking what the thing that stands out too that of how she how she is. I think about that story that she tells when she is living with her grandmother in the deep south, Mississippi, I believe. And um, her grandmother is washing the clothes, you know, and then rinsing them and and hanging them up on the line. And her grandmother, um, apparently her name is, her middle name is Gail. And uh, her grandmother was like, now, now Gail or Oprah Gail or something like that, you find yourself some good white people. And she was just telling her how, you know, you find yourself some good white people. You need to pay attention to what I'm doing here because one day you're going to have to do this and I want you to be prepared. And there's so many parts about this story that I love and hate. I love that no matter how much we have or how much we don't have, we want to impart. We want to impart and teach. Her grandmother was trying to give her every skill she had and knew to navigate this terrain called life in this white world well and safely and intact. So I, I love that her grandmother was trying to give her that. But I also love this part of the story. She's five. She can't be older than five. And when her grandmother's telling her this and told her one day you're going to have to know how to do this, something in her soul said, no, I will not. No, I will not. And so I think I love her telling of that story to your point earlier, Tasha, when you said you can come from a family with no love, trauma, abuse, and you can know how to love you can know how to share that love. You can know how to create a family, uh, community, all of those wonderful things. So I think I love that that sense of conviction that she's speaking of in that story is in every one of us. And it was just wonderful to hear someone speak words over this convicting being and body in all of us that tells us who we are and reminds us of what we're here for. And I, and I think that was that. That was God in her as a little five-year-old letting her know, I got something for you, baby girl. And what is so beautiful about it, and I probably am preaching again, is that God had something for her that the world could not fathom, nor did the world ever want to give her because she was not deserving of what God had for her. And so I think it just really, I personally am just blessed in my own life when I'm considering that. And if I feel desperate or sad or like down, like maybe I'm not doing enough, I feel that same sense of conviction of, no, I will not be washing those clothes and hanging them for the white folks. I will not be doing that. You know, as I 
am thinking about how I show up professionally, whether that's as a therapist, a speaker, a writer, whatever I'm doing. And there's so many ways that that Oprah has influenced my life, even even just due to introducing me to people, you know, and their books or their stories that I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had access to otherwise. Uh, she had said before, be aware of the energy that you bring into a room. And and I think about that often, especially when I would work, when I had a job where I was at the executive level and I'm sitting in a room of other people. Uh, my energy is strong. <laughs> my presence is strong. My voice is strong. And so her saying that it keeps me in check of how am I showing up? And then when I heard her say that, what I started to do is then I was aware of other people's energy and then how their energy was impacting me, you know, or impacting the space, the vibe of the entire place. I think I, I'm starting to understand that when when you have a purpose, when you have a voice, there will be people who are going to criticize you or they're going to say, oh, why are you talking about that? Don't bring that up. Don't put that in there. You don't want to mention this. And I just come away with something that we, we, we've we often heard and, and maybe even say this. I'm not for everybody and not everybody's for me, but I'm going to keep speaking about the things that that I feel led to speak about. And she showed me that you can be the butt of jokes. You can be criticized. You can have people walk away from you. And even after all of that, keep pressing forward. Don't shrink. Don't stop. Keep elevating. Keep moving. Keep keep just creating. Keep doing the good work. And then if you keep doing that, the right people will automatically, again, using that word tether, they're going to tether, they're going to be right with you. You're going to get the right people. So, so that in essence is, is my, my aha moment or my lessons for how I show up. And the other thing is that we've talked about it. We've said it without explicitly saying it, but she's shown me the power of sharing your story and how therapeutic it is to speak your truth. Yeah. So two things, one to Marcy's point earlier and and Andrea's point with regards to, man, this lady was deconstructing before deconstructing was a thing. And Marcy um, speaking of not be her showing us not afraid to be have gotten it wrong, maybe in her in her boldness for trying. Right. Because I think and I always say this in my life, there is power in the reach. Doesn't matter if you get there necessarily doesn't even but there is power in the reach. And so there was there was power in her being bold to be challenged, to expose herself to something. And if she got it wrong in 10 years, like she was not embarrassed to point back to it. So I just love to that point, Marcy um, and Andrea, white supremacy is more concerned with being right than doing right, right? So it wants to be right. And what we saw was a bend to having to be right. Maybe I got this wrong. Maybe I did. I I listened to one of those Gold Coast um, messages and the, the, the speaker that time said, show up in a space when you're sitting down with someone, sit in a position of maybe everything I believe is wrong. That allows you to hear and allows you to receive. That doesn't mean that you have to receive everything. Now to Tasha's point that I just wanted to talk about briefly is when you said she taught us to be aware of the energy that we put out. 
And also what she taught me too. the second part of that, when she said it was also pay attention to the energy you allow, you allow. And I remember being like, oh, I don't allow you. (laughs) I got to put up my like lightsaber and do something because I don't allow you to come across this threshold. So energy is impactful. It's powerful. And that we have to own what we bring to space, but we also have to own the shiz that we allow in our space and we can stop allowing it. To try to be brief. I mean, I definitely feel her influence showing up with starting my podcast with the podcast. I mean, I remember forever thinking I wanted to be Oprah when I grew up, which is just odd for this 10 year old white little girl. Um, You know, I went to school for communication, radio, TV, all of that got out of it, went into nonprofit. Um, but I remember starting the podcast thinking like, well, maybe this is like my chance to sort of be Oprah. And just, again, knowing the power of stories and how stories influence my life um, and doing that, carrying that through with my own podcast. I think one of the things is just being intentional. I think Oprah's very intentional with the stories she tells, the stories, the people that need to share their stories. I mean, just all of that. So that weaves through my mind. I think the other thing how she influences me to show up is definitely her ability to lift up other people and that being really important to her. Um, I think more recently though, I'm getting the other part of it is she lifts herself up too and she's okay with that. Cause I think that's something that as women we're told like, you're not, mm, don't lift yourself up, everybody else, put yourself below. So that's something I'm kind of, I, I'm actually working on with her example of being like, you know what? She lifts others up, but she lifts herself up too. And it's okay to do that, to take up the space, to lift yourself up. Um, I think part of the way she would influence the way I show up um, is that, you know, maybe I'll use my own like narrow example of studying therapy you know, you're kind of taught to that the knowledge is in the PhDs and it's in, it's just in these really academic books. And, and this is where the real knowledge is. And, and it doesn't really translate to our real lives. Right. And of course, like research, all that stuff's important, but Oprah has, uh, um, this constant wisdom, I I think probably because she's always seeking it too. And she's always sharing it with all of us, but she shares her wisdom in a way that has like humanity to it. It has curiosity. It has questions. It has warmth. There's not a stoic coldness to her brilliance, right? She has brilliance. So, I mean, who knows what else she has to tell us that she hasn't told us yet. She has all these things and she presents it in a way that you just almost feel like, well, maybe you're sitting at the table with her. Maybe you're, maybe you are sitting in in her backyard with her. And I think that that is, um, again, like what, how you show up in the world, what you guys are saying too, how you show up, I think is so much more important than anything, you know, or anything you think, you know, or don't know, or try to study. And I think that Oprah, um, you know, I would, I would, I would aspire to try to be like Oprah in that. Well, I just show up. And I think for, as, as a black woman, that's, that's a radical thing just to show up because we're not invited to do so. Um, I remember, it's a quick story. I remember um, my ex-husband and I um, were trying to get a group of people to go out with us to this piano bar at the Drake Hotel in Chicago. And um, this is back in the day. And 
I remember his friend, our friend asking, well, do black people go there? And I was pissed because I was just like, you know, if they don't, I don't really care. I'm going to be, this black girl's going to be there because I want to go to the piano bar and I want to have a martini and I want to have my Frank Sinatra Rat Pack moment. And I don't really care who doesn't want me to be there. I'm showing up. It, it, I believe the days of Jim Crow are ended and I'm going to be there. And so it was this, I, I don't know. And again, this is why representation is so important in media. I don't know if I would have had that kind of reaction if I didn't spend an hour, five days a week watching Oprah for multiple, multiple, multiple years. You know what I mean? So you're getting, you see someone in, in the world showing up like that in her life and you know, buying the Uggs and doing all the things that weren't for us, but she's doing them. I think that's how she's influenced me to show up in the world, just to show up, like my stuff that I like. Um, I was often teased about um, liking things that were white, where I never saw them as being white. I just saw them like, how is a liking scented candles white? Like, why is that a white thing? You know what I mean? Um, why is a pair of Uggs a white thing? I want a nice boot that keeps my foot warm and I don't have to wear socks. Why does that got to be about color? You know what I mean? Um, but really what it is, it's a, it's a cast thing. It's, it's, it's saying that there are certain things that are made in this world that are not for people of a certain cast. And people will put black women in that cast. And what Oprah has done is she showed up and she's had the full buffet of everything that she would like. To the, um, Shay told that story about her um, grandmother. I remember once on her show, she talked about how she was visiting. I don't know if it was her grandma or an auntie or someone down south. And she was saying how they had these plastic blue flowers that they'd had for years in their home. And Oprah had replaced the flowers with fresh flowers. Like she, you know, she could sign the check for every month this person or every two weeks or however this person is going to get fresh flowers in their home because they deserve to have these flowers and people got criticized her for it because they're just like well how dare you throw away her blue flowers maybe she liked it and i think um what they don't understand because i understood this even with my family and even with my sisters and my mother is that when you're told for so long that all you can have are the plastic blue flowers, you need someone to come buy you the fresh flowers and say, baby, no, you are deserving of these fresh flowers and I got you and I can give these to you. Because um, I don't know, I don't know that a lot of people are doing that for black women, certainly not black women who probably were raised in Jim Crow South, right? So you, you're you told that certain stores aren't for you and it's a mentality that just sticks in your head that the Hermes bag is not for you. And so I think for me with Oprah, it's really just influencing me that every space is mine as well.
that if you get a right to be there, I get a right to be there too. If you get a right to have a voice, I get a right to have a voice too. And I'm not going to check or ask for permission to like the things that I like. You know, I can like Kendrick Lamar, but I can also like who's white? Um, Taylor Swift. I don't know. But you know what I mean? I can, I can, I can like both. I don't have to um, perform one narrative because it makes the caste system stable. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stabilize a system that was broken from the get. Um, if Oprah, when Oprah listens to this, what do you want to say to her directly? Kind of like if we're all just sitting together at the table, what do you want to say to her? I would want to tell her, Oprah, thank you. Thank you for walking into doors that must have frightened the hell out of you. Walking into places that you must have feared you were not enough for. And walk into those places nonetheless and staying there, creating space, making avenues and space for others to enter these spaces. And also just even these spaces in our minds. I would like to thank her for continually being bold enough to be an ingenue and to start again and be fresh and new at something, to be a beginner. It gives us all more internal room to do the same. You truly were the backdrop of my entire childhood. I watched He-Man right before I watched you. And I just want to thank you for how you've lived, how you've been so consistent in your growth trajectory, and you've called us all up. That's what I would tell her. Thank you for that. Will you come on my podcast, Oprah? (laughs) That's not what I even had written down to say. I don't know where that just came from. (laughs) Um, Okay, so that was not what I had in mind, but if I really saw her face-to-face, I would have a little conversation with her and invite her on the podcast, but definitely the thank yous. I mean... And for so many things, it's like, I keep writing down thank you thing, like items as y'all are talking. And I'm like, I don't even know in my notes, all the thank yous. Um, But I think just, you know, when I think of women in this day and age that are still living, I mean, I can't think of another that embodies more fully what it means to be totally yourself, own who you are, take up space. I mean, it's her and like one of the wisest women. And I think that's just because she's been such an example of being so brave and like Shay said, entering those doors. So I think just a big thank you for being that example of what what is possible. And I think a lot too about, you know, me saying and others, like, I just wanna be Oprah when I grow up. Like that's one level, but I think being Oprah is being who you were put on this earth to be and owning that and being that fully. And I think that's what I wanna thank her, like still thank her for, thanking her for giving that example of striving for that, not to be her, but being who we fully are. And I think she keeps pushing and keeps challenging us. Um, And I just think, and also leaving a legacy. I think it's like, I've thought just a lot this last year, just about life and when we're gone and like how important it is, like what what we leave behind and the people we've influenced and changed. And she's somebody I think that is gonna leave one of the biggest legacies in so many lives. So thanking her for that. Oprah, um, you, Picked the book White Oleander a while ago, and I read it, and being the daughter of someone who was mentally ill and also had served time in prison, 
I wrote a letter um, to your show and I was selected to come and be part of this, um, the conversation you were going to have about the book. I was going to be in the audience. Like you had a, you had the table of women that were going to have the dinner and whatever. And then you're going to have some people in the studio audience who have written letters and stuff. And I had been chosen to go on the show and I flipped out, I flipped out, but I didn't go because it was the same day as my mother's graduation because she was graduating in prison with her associate's degree. And we were going to go watch her graduate. So I didn't go. And, but I did, it didn't even matter because I think you were the first person. And I know it was probably someone who worked in one of your departments, but because you had a show that high, that was willing to highlight stories such as my own, um, and you picked this book, um, White Oleander, it was the first time that I believed that my story was worth telling. So thank you for us broken, um, traumatized people who have gone through trauma um, and come out the other side, um, people who have wondered about this earth and this world and, and desire true answers. Thank you for saying that our story matters, that our voice matters, because um, I hold on to the fact that I got a call back basically from Oprah. So um, I just want to thank you for that. It, it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to my family too at the time because we had this story that had been distorted um, by so many other people in our, in our world and you listened and that we all felt heard and seen. Thank you. I would say Oprah, um, Thank you for your vulnerability and teaching, um, just modeling for, for all of us, whatever our stories are, that leading with your story is, is not a weak thing to do. It's a powerful thing to do. And it transforms lives and it heals people. And, um, I, I have always admired her for that. And, and I, I don't know what it's like to be rich and famous, but I do wonder how tempting it would be to take your coins and go home, you know, and just enjoy it. And I just, I just don't think Oprah's ever done that. And I think she's enjoyed it, but I don't think she's ever just kept it all to herself. I feel like she's always trying to teach us what she's learning. You know, that it, I just admire that so much about her, what, what she's being transformed by or curious about. She throws open that to, to all of us. And I mean, I, I admire that incredibly. And I just, I, you know, I, I would stop there. Yeah. So as I reflect on like what I would want to say to her, I, I want you to know, uh, Oprah, that you, you, you absolutely raised me. And I want to just say thank you because what you did for me is you showed me that I can heal from my sexual trauma. I can heal from my physical abuse. I can heal from being unwanted and unloved and I am healing. And so thank you for, for being that person for me. And I've talked about you so much and written about you and uh, just your influence 
it means a lot to have you as a representative of this is how you can heal from trauma as a black woman. Right. And, and, and like I said before, not everybody's going to agree with, with how you heal and how you evolve, but you keep pressing forward. And so um, I just want to say thank you uh, for who you are and what you've been and for all of the things that you have created and, and just put out into the world. And it just means a great deal. So thank you for that. Uh, anybody else have anything else that you want to share before we end? Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you yeah. all for so much fun. Thank you, Tasha. Yeah, it really was wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I love y'all. Uh, Tasha. Ditto. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter, LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time.